Welcome to another episode of the CISO Diaries. So I'm Leah with my co-host Sia. So a quick shout out to our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation. They are a nonprofit think tank with the mission to build a safer and more trusted cyber world. Our special guest today, Naomi Buckwalter, is not only is she an amazing human, she's a successful cybersecurity expert, a cybersecurity Woman of the Year finalist, She has also been making an impact on her mission of getting more people in cybersecurity and mentors our future leaders around the world. And that's only some of what we're here to talk about today. But Naomi, we are so excited and we thank you for being on our show today. Oh my gosh, thank you guys. I am so pumped to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Well, before we get into your latest endeavor, which congrats, by the way, um, we want to start with storytelling, which you're so good at. And I think you've noted the importance of telling stories to get people to listen. And they clearly have listened to you. I, you know, you average 200 or more interactions and engagements a day with your LinkedIn posts, um, but you are fighting a good cause. But what is your story on how or what point in your career did you really start advocating for getting more people into cybersecurity? I guess, what's your why? Oh my gosh, my why. All right. So I love this question because I don't get asked it enough. And I think if we had asked each other more often, I think we'll get a lot of great stories. So I love stories. Happy to tell you mine. So in this case, when in the pandemic, it's literally ever since March of last year, I began realizing um, on LinkedIn, a lot of people looking for jobs, a lot of people hoping to break into cybersecurity. And so I took on a couple of mentees and I said, hey, let's try to get you a job, right? And I found these people to be amazing. I'm telling you, they work so hard. They're passionate, curious, great critical thinkers, great communicators, great soft skills. And I was wondering, like, why can't you get a job? I am what I don't understand. Like, you're perfect. Uh, What's going on? And these people had applied to hundreds of jobs. It's a story that you hear over and over again. No one's going to give them a chance because they don't have the work experience or their career changer or they're not fitting the bill of the, uh, you know, person that they're looking for, the purple unicorn. And so I started getting really frustrated and I was looking around. I'm like, wait, is this happening to everyone, right? To a lot of people? It turns out, yes, there is. And when I did the actual research on this, I analyzed a thousand jobs on LinkedIn and I realized that only 12.5% of all open jobs are entry-level or designated entry-level. But on average, each one of these entry-level jobs requires five years of experience or a CISSP and a master's degree. And I was like, that is really messed up. And the more I thought about this critically, I was like, maybe this is the reason why we're actually losing the war on cybercrime. Because Cybercrime is actually an asymmetric war. I'm sure you've heard this term, but one bad actor can actually influence and have a negative impact on multiple companies and industries. Think about the Colonial Pipeline, right? It was just one APT group, thanks a lot, uh, to take down the entire eastern seaboard for uh, gasoline. So it's kind of one of those where we don't have enough defenders. And so if we had more defenders, I think we can win the war on cybercrime. And here comes my why. I think the more cybercrime is successful, the less of a bright future we'll have. So just like Cyber Future Foundation, you're working on, you have the mission to have a safer cyber future. I see the same thing. I don't want a future where there's data breaches and people dying from stupid decisions made by companies that don't invest in their security posture, right? Think about Colonial Pipeline. People actually died from that, unfortunately. People made the decision to store gasoline 
unsafely because they thought they were going to run out of gas. They thought maybe that I needed to do this. So you ended up with car explosions and, and traffic accidents because people made dumb decisions. But it really comes down to executives of the colonial team didn't invest enough in their security products. And then that's ended up killing some people. And this is just going to be more and more and more. Think about the poor lady in Germany who lost her life because the hospital she was in had ransoms, uh, ransomware at some of the machines that they were on. They couldn't get her information out in time. She died right there in the ambulance. Um, other people have been infected, affected negatively. Uh, sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but I get so very passionate about this because I want to live in a world where cybercrime is negligible. Think also about how airplane accidents are so very rare that when they do happen, an entire community mourns and the entire government comes in, the NTSB comes in, they try to dissect every single thing that went wrong. But I want to live in a world that cybercrime is as rare as an airplane crash. But right now what I'm seeing, it's more of a car accident rarity, right? Where that happens multiple times a day, multiple fatalities and injuries. And so I don't want to live in a world that cybercrime is, is normal. I want it to be rare. And why not? Like, why not try to fill in these gaps and change the mindset of people in my position to say it's okay and it's important to hire people that have no training and no experience in cybersecurity because that's the only way we're going to get the numbers in order to win against cybercrime. So my why is literally to win against cybercrime. Oh, I love it. That was my long answer. I mean, no, I love it. And that passion (laughs) behind it is – and then I think that's something that is unique about why – people do things, what's their motivation, right? And for you, it's simply, you just want to live in a better world where, I mean, people are literally dying from it, which I don't think a lot of people put that connection or make that connection between cybersecurity and our society and culture in the future, right? Like everything that we touch is interconnected. So Has true. an IP address. Everything. Oh, so true. And we as a culture like convenience. We're humans. And I think it's human behavior to have the convenience. I I cringe when I talk to people who have Alexa in their house. You know, to me, I'm like, hell no, I don't want a a listening device. But here's my hypocrisy. I have a mobile phone. Oh, yeah. So we need to understand your why is so relevant that needs to be heard and shouted from all the, you know, building Mm -hmm. rafters. Is that the term I learned with I, I love it from the rafters, yeah. right? I, and I'll just say, like, I totally agree here. And no one's making the connections; they're not connecting the dots. So here's the thing: when a company pays a ransomware, right? It's uh, for to get to whatever the ransom is, like fifty million dollars. Where do you think that money's going? They're not going on a target shopping spree with $50 million. All that money is actually going back into to real crime, mm-hmm. crimes that affect real lives. Think about illicit trading like the sex trafficking and human trafficking and um, guns and, and drugs and people's lives are at stake. And it's like, I can't believe no one else can see this. It's like, it's not just data. It's so much more than that. It's like literally people's lives. And if we're concerned at all about humanity and if we want to improve as a society, like let's think critically about what we're actually doing or not doing in the case of security. We are not doing the fundamentals right. We're not hiring and training the next generation. And I get so upset thinking that I'm going to live in a world where I'm 80 years old, still getting my data breached, still worrying about where my money's going and not being able to have a fulfilling retirement. Like that is just depressing. Oh my so. God. Yeah. And Wait. well, and as much as this community, I will say there's so many good people like you and the community can really come together and help and make changes. I've, and that you've probably seen the same thing. We probably all have all three of us. There's a lot of people out there who talk, talk, do a lot of talking, but don't act. 
And so it's marketing BS in my mind, right? It really is. But you are someone who's actually, you've taken your passion, you've taken what you believe in, you've taken your advocacy, and you've acted upon it because you just launched your nonprofit. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, super excited to. Yeah, so it's called Cybersecurity Gate Breakers, and it actually doesn't talk, but we're not talking about the people trying to break in at this point. People who are looking to break into cybersecurity, they're great. They're wonderful human beings are doing all the right things. They're building home labs. They're networking. They're talking to people. Uh, you know, they're studying for certifications. They're learning on their own. They're watching podcasts and webinars and, and they're doing all the right things. But the, the problem is the people on the hiring side don't see this or they, they think it's not good enough. And they have this mindset of a gatekeeper and elitist mindset that just says you can't come in until you have five years of experience or a master's degree or a CISSP. We're not going to let you in until you have all these things because of 20 different reasons. There's so many different reasons. So my foundation now is trying to to talk to these hiring managers and to the the C-level people and try to convince them using social proof, using stories, using all the things that I'm seeing, like other people do this, let's just share this, this information with everyone. Give them the reasons and the how and teach the teachers, right? Tell them how they can do this too. And here are the reasons why we need to do this because we need to have more defenders. We need more people doing cybersecurity. Otherwise, we're going to live in a world where cybercrime is going to be a daily occurrence and it's going to be just as bad as like car accidents. And I don't want that. And I think every day that passes is another little bit like closer to that whole like midnight destruction thing. Like we are just a little bit closer to Armageddon where cybercrime is just going to be this crazy thing that just uh, we we won't have safe water we won't have electricity we won't have grocery stores because everything's locked down like and like you said Leah it's, everything's interconnected everything has an IP address we have to start connecting the dots everything's connected right let's start thinking critically about why we do it a certain way and if we are the person if we are the reasons why we are losing the war on cybercrime I think we are me being one of the leaders in cybersecurity on my on my company but we as leaders need to start critically thinking about our influence uh, on the world of cybercrime and I think we are actually enabling them by yeah. not helping ourselves it's a role that we consciously or kind of unconsciously are playing uh, and then there's a certain amount of I hate to say it, and I don't want to get too crazy, you know, political or anything like that, but when certain news occurrences continuously happen, and I'm not even going to go down the path of gun control or anything like that, but once you see, like, attacks of sorts continuously happen daily, I hate to say it again, human nature, we become somewhat complacent. You lose track of the incidences. It no Mm -hmm. longer is the colonial pipeline or the solar wind supply chain because those were so monumental, unique, and the first, Mm -hmm. if you will, that we will always Mm -hmm. remember those. But then you forget the subsequent ones because now it's... And that's what we don't want to do is normalize. You're getting it. Cyber crime. You're normalizing. And then you're like, well, it's just going to happen. You know, actually it doesn't, it doesn't have to happen. And why are we accepting the fact? And, and so in America, we've got this gun problem, but in the rest of the world, they've solved it. There's plenty of countries that have safe guns and and safe gun ownership and not crazy people running around, you know, the bad people shooting people. And so why, but the cybercrime affects the entire world. There is uh, stories of people's uh, information getting stolen in one part of the world, affecting a completely different family 
across the world. Like that is, we're all interconnected. I'll tell you a really quick story. Um, This one I use a lot, but somewhere in the Midwest, there's a police station that actually got hacked. Some of the crime scene photos were leaked Mm -hmm. and the criminals actually said, you know, Hey, police station, if you don't pay us 25, $50 million, we are going to release the names of the victims, the photos, images all across the internet, whatever. And the police station was like, well, we don't have that money. So, you know, go for it. Right. Like, like, first of all, that's a terrible response, but the criminals, they still wanted their money. So what did they do? They actually went to the victim's families and hit, and them, and hit them. them up, extorted yeah. them. And then what are the victim's families going to do? Now they're double victimized because their family members got murdered. And now their pictures are going to be displayed across the internet. Like that yeah. is the kind of things that affect people at, at a very, 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 very like human level where you're just like uh, soul crushing. You're like, I, I, I just, I can't see, I cannot have this future for my kids, for my grandkids. And if you believe in reincarnation, like I do, you're just going to come back and do the same thing to yourself. So let's, let's go around that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess what does it take, right? Because it's, it's clear that we have your voice, many others, a lot of people that are trying to do the right thing, trying to really push to make the change. But I mean, do you think it takes, you know, all of us in bigger voices, bigger numbers going actually to Congress, testifying, lobbying? Because uh, I mean, I've seen where changes can happen that way. It takes a long time, but yes, democracy. But, yes. Yeah. Yes. What? Call your representatives. I know. Yeah. I know. It, yeah. it, it takes so many fundamental changes. It, it takes education at the elementary school level. It takes calling your representatives. It takes even like practical things like getting rid of the 8570, the directive, right? It's like every security, like you need a security certification if you're going to be in the DOD or whatever. Like, right. like let's start thinking about what that's actually doing to our community and things like, I'm going to throw them under a bus a little bit, EC Council, right? Like, why are they listed with the CEH? Yeah. Like, why is that one of them? Like, so let's, let's start having these conversations it does take everyone Leah. it does take all of us to really just start thinking critically and the idea is to really use social proof and here's the thing that i've learned ever since my whole experience with linkedin super grateful for the community that i have but i'm just me i'm just a person i'm a human with fears hopes wants and dreams and i know that i am just one person with one voice i don't understand when i see other people agreeing with me for no reason or not thinking critically through my opinions right and like so many people i get thousands of people just being like oh yeah i I agree like no stop like think about what i'm saying like prove me wrong right and then here's where I'm, i'm bringing this but we've had years of this thinking where you see somebody else go viral or somebody else with a larger audience or whatever. I'm like, oh, they must be 100% right, no matter what they say. And here, what I'm telling you right now is everything I say is not 100% right. It's opinion. It's not a fact. It's all the things that I've had through my lived experiences, but we are applying the same thinking to throughout cybersecurity. Hey, my boss said you have to have five years of experience at help desk before you can even break in. Obviously, that's right, because what other way would he become a boss, right? And so we are not critically thinking about all the assumptions that have brought us here. And I'm saying I know this now because I can see it through my own work on my writing on LinkedIn and other places where I'm like, why is this idea all of a sudden taken to be fact? I don't understand this. This is just one person's opinion. And now it makes me think, what else are we assuming that is fact when it was really just an opinion? Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I yeah. think back to you, you do what you say you're going to do. And the things you're very much trying to change and advocate for, 
you're actually doing them, them doing them themselves. And that may sound, oh, well, duh, simple, right? But not everyone does that. And I, I actually caught someone yesterday, um, won't name names, but uh, a group we work with that um, we're all in the same mission together to, you know, try to get more people into cyber. And we uh, talk to employers about how can they do that in ways that we can all help them. And we have an intern that um, they were leveraging uh, as some one of our mid-level is uh, on a vacation getting married. And they said, well, he's green, but we need the web page done. So how's this going to get done? And I thought, we're going to give him an opportunity. We're going to show him and teach him because he's an intern. And I think he's quite capable. He's getting a master's in cybersecurity PS <laughs> and has worked on you know, many more deeper tech things. And so it was that case where I, I, I could have sat there and just looked at the email and ignored it and walked away. Um, but I went back. It was later in the evening. I went back on email and I said, let me put some perspective here and just remind all of us that we are all promoting and advocating these things to third parties we talk to. Mm-hmm. So if we're not looking at this internally um, and how we can actually stand behind our words oh, I love and it. who are we to go oh, for? I love that you called that out. And that took a lot of bravery on your part. I hope they actually took that and be like, yeah, you're actually right. Yeah. You know, but you've done the same thing. You hired an intern. And yes. uh, are they still with you today? Can I? Yes, she is. She's, can I just tell you? So I used to be a gatekeeper. I used to like think there's no way like this person could ever be a cybersecurity expert, right? Like, but they you have to start them somewhere. And so if I take anybody that I know has a comfort level in technology and tell them, I'll tell you, Gen Z, they're all digital natives. They know technology. They are comfortable with technology versus where I remember learning how to type, right? Like they are used to technology. So anyway, you take somebody like Jessica and you say, here's what cybersecurity looks like. She shadows me. She goes to meetings. She... Um, is CC'd on email chains to see how I respond to things. She joins me on architecture discussions. Like she just kind of like, you know, like looks and okay, takes notes, asks questions. Great. Then I start giving her little things to do. Hey, take a look at our SPF records, DKIM, DMARC, DNS. Like here's some things that are safe for you to like play with. And then on on her side, she learns on her own, takes this uh, took the security plus, passed it with like an 800 after two and a half months and being in tech, like that is incredible. But to me, I was like, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just see if you can do this. Like in my mind, I actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't think she could do it. Like I was like, it's just too hard. Like I just, I just took someone too green. There's, but she surprised me and it made me realize like how little I actually know of like how the human brain actually works and like how potential actually can and be inside security cybersecurity and like and here's my thing like people are actually really smart they're actually really good you just have to like give them a chance to prove right and so Jessica came in blew all my expectations out of the water she ended up writing all our IT security playbooks she gave us return on investment within a week she asked very intelligent questions she's helping with tickets she's helping with security issues and she's only been in tech for since April 12th that was her start date and she's got a full-time job now she loves it she I mean it's just everything that you need and and here's the thing here's the kicker I would love to talk about this but in cybersecurity, I think there's a lot of charlatans. There's a lot of people who have to pretend that they know things. They have to lie on their resume in order to get the job. And there's a lot of reasonable explanations for that. But if you take someone like Jessica and you know she knows nothing and you are okay with that and she knows she knows nothing, she doesn't have to fake her way through. She doesn't have to guess. She doesn't have to like Google things, 
right? Like she already knows she doesn't know anything. So she's going to do all the basics to get the foundation first in order to level up instead of somebody who really doesn't know anything has to pretend they know something in order to get a job. And all of a sudden you're throwing them into roles that are mid senior, senior way above their head. And they're just faking it until they make it. I'll tell you what, Leah, uh, somebody sent me a private key the other, like maybe a month ago or two months ago. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, who is this person? Why did you just email me your private key? And then the answer was like something like, oh, the email was encrypted, which it wasn't because it's email. And and the, and then they had a banner or something on the email that said this email was encrypted, which it wasn't. You know, it was sent over TLS, obviously, but it wasn't encrypted end to end. And it was like one of these things where I'm like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? So uh, it's just, I have many, many, many of those stories. So Okay, so I have to ask because yes. Jessica is, and clearly she appreciates it, right? Like it is so rare where you have done mentorship and I have mentored some where some folks have been willing to learn and embrace and others where they're just resistant to it. So I have to ask, you took Jessica under your wing so well and really trusted her and guided her along. Who did that for you or did anyone do that for you? For sure. I think in my early career, I was at a company called Vanguard. And when I went onto the application security team, I was very green. I basically only knew what a proxy was because someone had mentioned proxy before. I never used one. I never really did any hacking, you know. And so I was given a mentor. I was given training. Yes, I was I was treated like someone who didn't know anything. And, and for good reason, because I didn't. And so I didn't have to fake my way through like, oh, I know exactly what reflected cross-site scripting is. And I can tell you all these. Like, I didn't have to do that because I didn't know. By the time I was done with that role, I had been sent to Sam's training. I took the CISSP by, by that time. And so I had learned all the basics. I was given training. I was able to sit next to really, really, really smart people to learn next to them. And I was given safe spaces to make mistakes. And so I think we, we don't see that a lot. We see more of those open. And I'm telling you, because I did the research, uh, only 12.5% of all open jobs are entry level, but a, a half of those require five years of experience. So they're not technically entry level. But think about all the other non-entry level roles, right? We've got 85.5% of mid-senior and senior level and executive. Those are the roles that we need, yes. Those are the contributors that we need, but people don't just spring out of the ground. They're not like groundhogs. They don't just come out of the ground. I'm ready to go. Like we need to train them, guide them. So they can go from the entry level safely the right way and then train them into the mid senior, senior level roles that we do need in order to fight against cybercrime. But we, we can't just take people from the roles they currently have, give them $60,000 more and be like, hey, join our team now. Right. Because you're, you, it's like a net zero thing, kind of like you still have that spot open. You're not going to fill it in with a groundhog. You need to like cultivate <laughs> it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like going off the rails here. No, no. But you <laughs> know what? You make a point of this though, too, though, because it, the foundation, right? You need to have some technical foundation to understand where security fits in the grander scheme of the company, right? That, I mean, because security is not a silo. It, 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 touches every single aspect of every single business line out there for any organization. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this many times in the past, which is every company is a tech company and security has to still play a significant role oh, to ensure okay. that company actually stays in business and isn't hacked, right? Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this then, because, okay, we've got the foundation with technology. How does then one translate that into leadership to be able to have that comfortable conversation at the C-suite level, because I think those are two vastly different skill sets mm -hmm. and you're in it. So how do you see or envision that path for your team and for yourself? 
But I think you also mm -hmm. just started touching on um, a very logical career pathway, which doesn't exist everywhere and is needed. So, so path to leadership, I would say, is that mm -hmm. your question? Okay. Um, yeah, it is a totally different skill set. So if you find the right person that has the great human skills, the people skills, empathy, uh, you know, influence and persuasion, critical thinking, communication, like all those skills are very difficult to teach. And yet you can still grow. Um, you take somebody like that, give them the technical skills. So I'll tell you, Jessica's very good at asking tough questions and she's very good at making connections and stuff like that. So like if, if you take someone like her and you start showing her, showing her like, here's what a leader does. And here's like some skills and some books that you can read. Here's some uh, podcasts and tech talks that you can listen to. Right. Um, talk about the growth mindset a little bit. You start seeding her with information. She's going to grow alongside her technical skills. So by the time there's an opening for a leadership position, or maybe, you know, I leave and someone needs to take my spot. She She'll be ready because she's already been in a position to learn and to grow. And hopefully I've done my job to give her opportunities to lead on her own because it's a muscle. It's a skill. You have to learn. You can't just go in and, and start directing people to do things like you have to motivate people. You have to understand why people do certain things. There's a lot of human psychology behind leadership. We don't talk about that as senior leaders or as security leaders. We don't train each other into being great leaders. Like a lot of senior leaders that I know are just very, very good technical people, but they're not very good at being security leaders. And you're right, it is completely different skill sets. One is being more strategic and more business-minded, and one is being more very tactical and, and technical. So it's like completely two. But in, in the Cicero, you, you do need both. But for sure, I am much more like on the one side of being more strategy and like business focus. Like that is more important to me right now. And uh, hopefully Jessica grows more in the technical now, but alongside each other, right? Yeah. Well, well done on that. I mean, because it is hard when you're juggling everything else and, you know, depending on resources, but you're, you're showing and sharing and proving that it can be done, right? It just mm -hmm. takes the investment and giving people a chance. Um, okay. Overall, you are just, I mean, it, I think it warms our hearts. You are just a good person inside and out doing the right thing. Just an a, amazing human does not even begin to describe it, but those values, the core of you, everything else, has that been part of you growing up in your family? I know you have like three sisters, but has that just been something always ingrained in you? Oh gosh, no, I was a real big prick. Like you would not have liked me, Leah. Like even 10 years ago, I was an elitist. I was gatekeeping. I was smug. I think that's a great word for it. Um, and that's because very early on, I was told I'm special. I'm smart. I blah, blah, blah. And like you, you're fed all these kind of like lies where life is just too easy. I remember thinking my mom, um, just plowing the way, like she, she was definitely a helicopter parent. Like now it's a snowplow parent. Like, but in the eighties, she was like, uh, like her own kind of force. Like she'd be like, nobody's going to hurt my daughter. <laughs> right. Like she transferred me out of the school. I was being bullied at, right. Found me a new school, uh, you know, got me jobs, you know, stuff like that, where I'm just like, I wish she hadn't done that. I wish it's almost like you have, I appreciate you, mom, love it. Everything that you did for me, sacrifice all these great things, but let me struggle. Like give me an opportunity to grow and to have some resilience because I did not get any of that until I was fired. I, you know, I was thinking like, uh, I'm in security. I blah, 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 whatever. And, and so like all my credentials. And so I thought, like, I was like, uh, you know, like how can no one else do this? But then I got fired. And I realized, oh, my God, I know nothing. And then, like, the crushing of the soul just kind of bringing me down to earth and being like, wow, I really need to reflect 
on who I am as a person and what I'm actually doing. And like at the, around the same time, I had other things like uh, I got into a car accident. My son was in the hospital. I tore my ACL. Somebody like somebody I really trusted was like, yeah, not a lot of people like you, you know, like very soul crushing things all happen at once. And then it's just and I'm just like, I have a lot of growing up to do, like a lot of growing up to do. And it is, I think very recently, a man named Andrew Yang was running for president, um, a Democratic candidate for president. And he never really made it too far, but he actually wrote a book on the war on normal people, which I totally um, suggest you reading. But it really comes down to the point where do we, are we here to make money for companies? Is that our is that our mission as a human race or is it to treat people better and to make other people's lives better and to improve the lives around us? Like, I think it's the latter. I don't think our goal is to make money for our company. I think we should put people before profit. And if you apply that to so many areas of your life, you're going to realize like, what are your priorities in life? Somebody I just talked to said, Hey, if I took a look at your bank statement right now, I could tell you what your top three priorities are. I really could like, is it work? Is it yourself? Is it your family? Is it God? Is it your church or whatever? Like, I can just take a look from your bank statement what your priorities are. And I'd be like, oh my God, that's a really good way of putting it. Like, and so if we apply that to so many other areas of our life and be like, what is the reason why you're here? And uh, we're always asking ourselves this, like, why are we here? Why are we here? Is it to make money? We can't take any of it with us. We're, we're, we're done. Like, so why not make everyone else's lives better around us? teach and train the next generation, your words are going to live beyond yourself. And I think that's what I see. I'm like, I, I want a world where we're all just in a better place. I want us to evolve. I want us to get better and have more empathy for each other and more gratitude for things. But yeah, I would say it took a very hard life lesson for me to get to that place. Well, it sounds like to me, what you're talking about is called the emotional bank, right? There yeah. is the financial monetary bank, but then there's the, you know, uh, oh my gosh, I just had the word, but your your purpose bank your purpose oh, bank yeah. I like that I'll like take I like that, that too and I, like so, I wrote that book down too oh the yeah. war on normal people yeah. yeah by Andrew Yang um he had some great ideas humanity first the reason why you know we see so much uh even things like a hatred on social media it turns into anger which turns into like uh, massacres on with guns and stuff like that like it's all related. It really is. And we don't see what we have in each other. And in this world, we're not grateful for what we have. And I'll tell you, my parents immigrated from China and I would be working in a Chinese factory making iPads if it weren't for them. So I'm like extremely grateful every day. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm sitting here in Pennsylvania, like doing a podcast with you lovely ladies. Like I could be having a totally different life right now. And, but think about all the people who are in that situation right now. Why can't they have what I have? What, what makes me special? Nothing, nothing. I just got lucky. I was born here. I have two great parents who, who um, sent me to great schools, right? Like uh, I was fed healthily, right? So I like have so many privileges and I want other people to realize like if you're grateful for what you have, you're always going to be happy, always. Yeah. And so you're going to take that gratitude and turn it into something that can help other people too and help them realize what you do have and what we have in each other. And then you translate that into like doing something good for the world, you know? I mean, such an inspiration. I just, it's almost like so glad that we did this early in the day because now I have no reason not to just have a great day and be Aww. so inspired. 
I love it. I love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. The easiest way to be happy is to be grateful for what you have. It could be a lot worse. Yeah. No, well, now I want want to go Google and see did anyone trademark Purpose Bank so I can trademark that, make money. There you go. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) Hashtag Purpose Bank. See ya. Hashtag Purpose Bank. No, no, no. no. Oh, Naomi, you are absolutely. You are absolutely inspiring. And, and and here's where I think is so exciting because you as a leader for an insurance company right now, which is not the sexiest industry. Sorry, insurance people, but really you're not. It's not. Not a sexy industry. But the idea being, if you've got that, that term, determination, that will to learn, that desire to do better, I can see where so many other leaders like you can really develop the cybersecurity industry and so much more than what I feel like it currently is, which is somewhat clicky, somewhat oh, yeah. exclusive. And oh, yeah. and if you possess critical thinking skills, which I think is really critical in cybersecurity because you have to think outside the box because the, the bad guys are thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. cannot have you know, people that are just like, oh, it's straight and narrow, straight and narrow. And this is the way it is. So this is the way it shall always be. If you were to have some parting words, final thoughts, if you will, Naomi, what would you like to share with those that are looking against cybersecurity or interested in your organization? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think if anyone's listening to this, I would love for you to challenge yourself with just one question. Just say, why are we losing the war on cybercrime? Why are we objectively losing the war on cybercrime by any measure? Why are we losing? From there, ask yourself additional questions like, what's my role in the reason why we're losing against cybercrime? And just keep going down that rabbit hole and see what you come up with, because you're going to come up with some answers that you're not going to really like. You're going to be like, wait a second, maybe I'm a gatekeeper. Maybe I'm elitist. Maybe I'm smug. And think about how that translates into your daily work, into how that affects your community and how it affects the world. So the more that you think about yourself and all the things that you do and how that has impact to others, you're going to have some life-changing moments because I certainly did. So please ask yourself, why are we objectively losing the war on cybercrime and just keep picking at that thread? You're going to come up with some really interesting things. We almost need another podcast with you because you you did touch on with all of that change and that it's possible to change. Um, and so I think that's a whole nother episode because I believe people can change, but I know there's people out there that say they can't, but mm-hmm. I think it can happen. But again, thank you so much for being here. With thank us you, Leancia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Naomi, and before we let you go, uh, right. for those that want to learn more about you or want to get a hold of you, uh, where are your recommended locations that you would like to send them to? Oh, absolutely. Please check out our website, cybersecuritygatebreakers.org, all one word, .org, Cybersecurity Gatebreakers. Um, we're also found on LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn page. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, Naomi-Buckwalter. I'm on Twitter. I need more cyber, um, but I'm not as active on Twitter because I feel like it's a little bit of a toxic waste dump. So I try to stay away from that. But um, LinkedIn, for sure, definitely more of the positivity there. So if you're interested in more, check out cybersecuritygatebreakers.org. We're constantly looking for volunteers. We're up to seven. 150 right now. So we're looking for more. We're looking for more leaders. Uh, We have plenty of work to do. So come and join us. I would love to have you. You're such a rock star, Naomi. Thank you so much for your time. No, I think just everyone get involved. Naomi just told you how you can do that. We need more of you and please join this force. Excellent. Excellent. So on that note, everyone, let's close this awesome entry with Naomi Bookwalter. Thanks for joining the CISO Diaries. Thank you.